Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast. It seems only a short moment ago I was saying those very words into this very microphone. In fact, it is. I think this could be the first time that we've had two Arscasts in one day and the Arscast I put out this morning. I don't think, even with football, you do one on a Friday, this game on a Saturday, the shelf life of a podcast in that sense is quite short. I don't think there's ever been one with a shelf life as short as this one because I put it up this morning at about 6.30 a.m. and by 10 a.m. Arsene Wenger had announced that he was going to be leaving the club at the end of the season. Man, that is a bolt from the blue, a real shock, it has to be said. Not necessarily that this is Arsene Wenger's last season. I've long suspected that that might be the case, but the announcement of it just out of the blue on a Friday morning was really, really unexpected. So we're reacting. We're going to talk a bit about uh, Arsene's decision, the announcement, what it means for the club, where we go from here, Ivan Gazidis' press conference and all kinds of things. In a few minutes' time, I'm going to be talking to Andrew Allen, Gunnar Hollick, and the man from East Lower Jim will be here as well. We're going to have a bit of a roundtable discussion about that. And in a couple of seconds' time, I'm going to be talking to James uh, from Gunner Blog. Uh, he was at the Ivan Gazidis press conference, so I'll talk to him about that. But I just wanted to share something with you. Uh, the phone rang off the hook today. Lots of messages, lots of uh, radio stations, uh, etc., podcasts looking for reaction to it. And I was on News Talk Radio in Ireland. It's the biggest talk radio station in Ireland. Uh, their drive time show presented by a man called Ivan Yates. I was on with John Giles, the uh, former Republic of Ireland. Ireland player and manager. Uh, I do think, though, that this particular interaction has to be one of the highlights of my broadcasting career. I'm going to play it for you now. Well, for reaction to the news, it's a pleasure to welcome to the programme my old mucker and great analyst, of course, here on the station, John Giles, football pundit, and Andrew Mangan of, I'm not sure about this title, Arse Blog, uh, jo- joining me us now. Andrew, where'd you get the Arse Blog from? Well, it's a blog about Arsenal. What else would you call it? Well, you could you could stick in an N or something, or uh, make it the Gooners or something. Arsenal blog. Well, okay. First of all, what is the general reaction, Andrew? Uh, today is it is it one? So that's my latest appearance on Irish National Radio. Probably my last one on that particular show. But who knows? Who knows? Anyway, let's get on with the show. And Ivan Gazidis had a press conference a bit earlier on. He gave a statement and then he sort of didn't answer any questions. And with me uh, to discuss that, because he was there, is James from Gunnerblog. James, good evening. Good evening to you. How are you doing? I've got a drink in hand. I think it's necessary. This has been quite the day. Yeah, it really has. Um, let me ask you first and foremost, what what was your reaction when when the news dropped this morning? 
Well, I think for all Arsenal fans, it's going to be one of those where were you moments. I was actually on a train at the time. So I was completely unaware that there'd been a bit of a whisper going around, a little bit of a rumour kind of in the hour or so before. And I actually got a phone call from my brother and he just said, have you heard? Uh, and I didn't know if it, I thought it could have been news about the family, could have been anything. And he said, oh, Semenga's going at the end of the season. And I was really stunned. This caught me mm. out of out of the blue, really, out of left field. You know, despite us talking about it on the podcast week in, week out as a possibility, I did not anticipate this happening right now. I did not anticipate it happening in this manner. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really shocked. And the whole day really has felt a bit surreal subsequently, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, it really has, hasn't it? It's just been crazy. My phone, I've you know, I've never had as many messages and requests yeah. to do bits and pieces and to talk about it and everything else. I mean, it is the uh, the suddenness of it, I think, that is the, the shocking thing, isn't it? Um, I'll tell you what I think. I, I think this happened in the last 24 hours. I think right. Arsene Wenger made the decision. I think it just was communicated to the club. It doesn't feel to me like this is something they've been sitting on for a while. Uh, and Arsenal doesn't feel at this moment in time like a club that sits on things successfully, that if there's, you know, big news, it'll pop out at some point. So I, mm. I, my feeling is this happened in the last 24 hours, perhaps after his press conference yesterday. Um, he had conversations with the club and they decided to um, to release a statement. The only thing that I that I sort of can't get my head around is the nature of those conversations, I suppose. And unsurprisingly, that's all pretty hush-hush at the moment. But what what I mean by that is, you know, was there anything that prompted him to think, well, I'm going to do this of my own accord? You know, essentially, did he did he jump or... What did he jump because he was about to be pushed and how conscious was he of mm. that? The reason I, I say that is just that it feels quite out of character in some respects of Arsene Wenger. I don't just mean in terms of the whole I don't break my contracts thing, the fact that we know he loves the job, he wants to stay in the job mm. seemingly, he wanted to see me stay in it seemingly indefinitely at times, but also the fact that I, I never anticipated really that he's someone who would announce he was going before the end. I thought he would, you know, sort of step away quietly and make an announcement after the season, if that was what he had in mind. To do so with games still on the table feels unlike him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, didn't he speak a couple of weeks ago about how he wasn't worried about how he was perceived when he you know, left the job. Like the idea, someone said to him, wouldn't it be a great idea to go out after you win the Europa League because then you get to walk away with glory and you get to walk away with goodwill. And he said, I don't really care about that because my my focus is just on on doing my job. Perhaps there is something to it. Perhaps he did uh, come to understand that regardless of what happens between now and the end of the season, the club were going to go in a different direction. Maybe that's what it was. Um Either way, though, it still it still uh, it still feels like it was something that he decided. Yes, I guess so. And obviously, the statement very much came from him. Uh, and also, you have to wonder if it was from the club's instigation. You know, if the club somehow communicated it to Arsene that things weren't going to continue beyond mm. the end of the season, irrespective of what, of what happened in the Europa League, this would also be a very strange time for them to do that. Um, so perhaps perhaps it was just a, an impression that he, I mean, this is pure speculation, but an impression that he had about the way things were going and he chose to take control of matters. And there is a, a benefit to that. You know, his statement talks about the need for the fans to rally around and 
finish strong. And I do think to a certain extent that is guaranteed. You know, of course you, you can't guarantee results, but I think you can guarantee the backing of the fans for these half a dozen games or so, whatever's left now. Yeah, it is going to be, it is going to take the sting out of, um, the criticism, obviously, when we lose games, when we lose like we did at Newcastle on Sunday and we all look at our record and we look at everything that's gone on as much as we try and compartmentalize games like that in the wake of or in the in the context of the Europa League um, being the, the important thing. You know, it does take it does take all the sting out of it that people can now see. I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? But they can see that change is coming, and I think there has been a real appetite for change for many people. Um, and uh, if it consolidates support and if it helps get people behind the team for the final few games of the season, uh, particularly for the Europa League games, then maybe that's part of the thinking too. It does seem that way. It does seem that way. I mean, certainly. The chief executive was keen to present it as such in his press conference. He talked about, you know, uh, we felt collectively that it would be good to pay tribute to Arsene in these remaining games. I mean, I, I can't quite get my head around Arsene feeling that himself. I just don't think he ha- he's got a big ego in some respects, but I don't think he has that kind of vanity. I don't think he enjoys that kind of adulation and attention being poured upon him. So, it it is, you know, it is a difficult situation and one we probably, like a lot of things in Arsene's time, won't ever know the exact truth about this yeah. kind of uh, this in uh, this book that he's kept saying he's going to write. I really, I'm not sure he ever will, and oh. I think this might be one of the mysteries that's. Uh, I that's really, left. I really hope he does. I really, really, <laughs> really hope he does. If he needs any help writing it, I'd be, I'd be quite uh, on board with doing the ghost writing on that one. To be honest, what a, sure, what an amazing bunch of stories you get. Um, you were at the press conference. This evening, Ivan Gazidis uh, held a press conference to release a statement about Arsene Wenger in which he spoke, I suppose, in glowing terms about it. But the longer it went on, the weirder it felt to me, that press conference. I'm curious as to how you perceived it from in the room. Well, you know, I I got wind that the press conference was going to be called sometime this morning and and. I, I suppose it's a good thing that somebody from the club came forward and said something. I think that it would have been perhaps problematic if they hadn't. You know, I think often we're accused of not being vocal in terms of our leadership from the boardroom. So I think it probably was good that something was said. However, uh, I do understand what you're saying. It was a slightly curious press conference because he was there, Gazidis, but sort of unwilling to divulge any real detail about anything Mm. so it became a little redundant in that respect and actually i think in not divulging certain things there was a bit of positioning going on you know it'd be very easy for gazidis to go into that press conference and say well i mean you know we all hoped arson was going to stay on and we were absolutely shocked by what happened but i think the omission of statements like that i think tells you a Mm. little bit about the background here um yeah but I, I, I think that, you know, we probably will witness or see more of this kind of thing. I think that it's kind of a watershed moment for Gazidis to even hold a press conference of this ilk. Yeah. And I think more that Gazidis, I do wonder eh? if... Yeah, well, I do wonder if now that Arsene Wenger is going, we will hear and see more from other figures within the club. But yeah, I mean, that will be... Worse. Yeah, that will be normal because Wenger is, is such a figurehead. But the more the, the press conference went on, the more unnecessary it felt to me because if he was going to sit there and talk to the press 
uh, and provide answers over what is the most seismic event to happen to Arsenal Football Club in maybe 25 years or since mm. George Graham got sacked. You know, Bruce Rioch being sacked came nowhere close to this. So mm. it was it was the biggest thing to happen to this football club, you know, from a, an organizational point of view. I'm not talking about the football or the success or anything else. So for him to sit there and to not provide any detail as to how the decision was made, why the decision was made, uh, point to Arsene Wenger to say, well, Arsene will talk on Sunday. I presume he's talking about his, his post-match press conference after the game against yeah. West, West Ham. Uh, you know, it, it really felt... I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't sit right with me. I have to say because it felt like to me Gazidis was putting himself front and center at a time when I, I take your point about somebody from the club saying something, but I don't know. Would anybody have had any big problem if? Uh, I mean, I would rather. Let me put it this way: I would rather they just released a very nice statement on the club website and left it there mm. than reading out a very nice statement. And then refusing to answer any questions. And the more and more it went on, the more he spoke about Arsene Wenger as if he was dead or something. It was strange to me. <laughs> like It became almost funereal, like an obituary. And what it is, is a great manager leaving our football club. And we all understand that's emotional. I don't think anybody today has, has uh, had any lack of emotion about what's going on. But I, I, it didn't work for me. That's where I am with that. I didn't, uh, I didn't enjoy that at all. I'm not sure Arsene would have enjoyed it, to be honest. Uh, maybe particularly given who was delivering it. But I think when it comes to Sunday and it comes to West Ham, I anticipate what he'll want to do is talk about that game. Mm. Uh, that is always his focus and always his interest. It's the reason he wasn't there this evening at that particular press conference because he he's preparing for the West Ham match and that he, yeah, he's all that, about what not, happens on the pitch. That, that's not why he was. You know, that's not why he was. He wasn't there though, was it? Really? He's probably not preparing for it right now. I'd be no. amazed. <laughs> you know, at five o'clock on a on a Friday evening, all the players are gone home. Arson, if he'd really wanted to, or if it was appropriate for him to be there, could have been there. I think. I think. But this I don't was, think he wants to, right? No. Yeah, why? I, I no. Doubt. Why would you? Why would you? But this was to me it was Gazidis putting on a show. I mean, Gazidis has been nowhere to be found for the duration mm. of this season, basically, apart from the odd marketing announcement. Nowhere. And last season was the same thing, James. We spoke about it on the on the Arscast Extra when when the shit was hitting the fan, and when Wenger was uh, in front of the press week in week out. He did his pre match press conferences, his post match press conferences, TV interviews, everything else, and he, the the deluge of questions about what's going on, what's your future about, what's happening, are you going to sign a deal, are you staying, are you going? You know, there was nothing from Ivan Gazidis. So you know, it's just. Uh, I, I feel it's a bit like the uh, the Obama Yang thing when mysteriously uh, Gazidis and uh, Mislintat were pictured in Dortmund trying to do the make the signing of Obama Yang happen. You know, ooh, where did that come from? That's what it feels like to me a bit. It was it was a guy who feels emboldened by a situation, perhaps. Uh, making people aware that that now the balance of power has shifted and he is the guy who's going to hold it. Yeah, I don't doubt at all. I think that's almost exactly what was going on. Uh, and, and as I say, I think there was a lot of positioning going on. And I think he did say some quite remarkable things in the press conference. At one stage, he said, I don't think there's a board out there with more experience making managerial appointments than ours. <laughs> and I think that's 
you know, extraordinary thing to say. I know, obviously, that Rousinier has overseen some appointments of Barcelona, but nevertheless, I think that's a very, very bold claim. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that you're you're right about Gazidis and the irony of someone being completely silent and then holding their own press conference the mm. minute the manager goes won't be lost on anybody. I, I I just think on the other side of the coin, it's you know we we criticise the club for not having an executive voice, and then when we do, we criticise them again. So I sort of think a balance has to be struck. You know, I think we have to accept that that with Arsene gone, the onus is on someone like Gazidis to be more vocal, yeah. and I imagine he will be. Um, well, I, I think that it's. I saw a tweet from you describing what he was saying as mawkish, and I think that that is right. And I think that part of the reason it felt mawkish uh, is that we, I say we know, but we have a pretty good idea about some of the machinations that have gone on behind the scenes and what he has felt about the manager's position in recent seasons. I think it's been, to be honest, it's been obvious by his absence and by his failure to comment on various circumstances. So that's why it felt a little bit, sort of sickly seeing him say you know what a great guy Arsene is because I think he's he's probably wanted out for, him out for some time yeah yeah absolutely absolutely anyway it's uh, it's uh, it's on him now if he's going to assume this responsibility then he's got to be front and centre for for all mm. the bits and pieces and for everything that happens between uh, now and when we appoint a new manager and after we appoint a new manager I think we're going to see a lot more uh, of Gazidis, uh, for better or for worse, uh, particularly when they make the appointment, because, uh, you know, having been, what's the word, a subject of Arsene Wenger uh, for so long, he will uh, he will not want to have that um, same dynamic when, when the club appoints a new manager, but we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Um, and, I, and I wonder as well if that won't play into the kind of manager that yeah. he looks to appoint. I mean, he, he talked about the criteria, but one of the criteria he didn't mention is I suspect that the likes of Gazidis, Sanyei, Mislintat will probably want somebody who they feel works under and for them, mm, you know, rather yeah. than someone they work for. Uh, uh, and I think that will be a factor in any appointment they make. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, James, we're going to leave it there with you. Uh, we will chat on Monday on the Arscast Extra after the West Ham game. I suspect we're going to see a much fuller Emirates Stadium than we might have done otherwise, and hopefully the uh, the performance will will reflect that as well. Uh, have a good weekend. Catch you on Monday. Bye-bye. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Thank you to James. You can catch us on Monday on the Arsecast Extra when we discuss the uh, the game against West Ham on Sunday and whatever else Arsene Wenger has to say about this decision and his future in the uh, in the post-match press conferences and the interviews, etc., etc. But moving on, it's time for a bit of a roundtable to uh, talk about what has been the most seismic uh, event in Arsenal's history for probably 20, 25 years now since the uh, the departure of George Graham. I'm joined by Andrew Allen. Hello. Uh, good evening. The Gunnar Hollick. Hello to you, sir. Good evening, Blogs. Thanks for inviting me. And the man from East Lower. Hello. A bonsoir. Uh, let me start with you, Jim. Um, next season, we're going to have press conferences and we're going to do podcasts and we're going to read news stories <laughs> And Arsene Wenger is not going to be any part of them. That is going to be weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is weird. That's just one small thing of mm. one small, one small parcel of weirdness. But um, yeah, yeah, the whole thing is, is weird. We're going to have to recalibrate everything, really, that we've got used to, that we either loved or maybe didn't love quite so much in the last few years. But we have to start afresh. And so much of what we loved to listen to certainly he's talking about press conferences he was great fun to listen to uh, a lot of the time and that's gonna that's gonna change but i think that's probably the the least of the changes that uh, that will be pressing yeah yeah i mean uh, surreal is a word that springs to mind andrew uh, i think one of the other words that has been used throughout the course of this day is emotional i don't think uh there's been an arsenal fan one way or the other who hasn't been a a bit emotional today and i would say for most of us it's been it's been remembering all the things that we like and admire about arsene wenger that somehow this announcement has i won't say glossed over everything but it's it's sort of brought into focus all the good things that he's done for the club and this relationship that we had with him that perhaps in recent years has been a little bit strained but it's hard not just to be affectionate i felt very affectionate towards him today Oh, absolutely. I I found it a really difficult day, actually. Like, I mean, we seem to get wind of there being something about to come out of the club about five, ten minutes before it did. And when it did, I, I literally, sitting at my desk at work, went, holy shit. And, yeah. like, the hairs on the back of my, you know, my, my arms just went on end. And I was, I, I was speechless for a few moments. And then I realized this was real. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it, I mean, he's been such a big part of, I guess, my life for 22 years now. I mean, mm. you know, the last seven or eight in particular, when I've, I've written down his words on a day by day basis, it feels like, you know, I've listened to this man speak more than I've probably listened to any man speak. I've analyzed his words more than I've listened to any man. You know, I've seen him talk in the flesh and he's, you know, he's, mesmeric actually you know especially when you kind of take him out of a, a press conference environment um yeah it's, it's very strange i'm very sad very emotional i mean i always thought that this probably was how i was gonna feel but when it happens you're still not really ready for it i guess yeah yeah i mean uh dave you've seen some managers come and go in your time and it hasn't always been uh perhaps as as uh, friendly as it might have been in some of the circumstances, but big characters have come and gone. But 
it really feels uh, the length of his tenure, obviously, and the success that he brought to the club and the, the transformative effect that Arsene Wenger has had on the club um, more than any other manager. I mean, you could make the case for George Graham, of course, coming into a club that had been in the doldrums from a league title point of view and, and winning two titles uh, had, had that kind of effect. But this, because of how long he's been in charge, really does feel like something a bit different. Yes, that's absolutely right. And I think it harks back as well to the era of Herbert Chapman because uh, George was a great manager for getting players to play and to di- discipline style. But Herbert Chapman and Arsene Wenger have both taken the club further off the pitch and they've been great innovators of their time. And everything that Arsene brought to the table when he first arrived and people talk about the diet and the training methods that were so different to what we were used to and uh, I, I remember listening to Paul Merson earlier today talking about the Arsenal lads in the England squad going and doing these different exercises before warming up and the England players were asking them what's going on mm. so the impact he's had on the club and and the way that it uh, still to this day operates has been huge it's been a shame what's happened over the last few years maybe when money has been freed up for him and the timing is probably right but I'm awfully glad you asked Andrew the question about the the emotional part of the day because it has been very emotional for some of us. Right, right. well I'm not letting you off the hook. What, what, What was your first thought when you heard the news? I was very, very surprised. And the reason I was surprised, I thought for a while or had been led to believe for a while he was going in the summer. Mm. But I didn't think there was going to be any announcement before the end of the season uh, because that seems to be the modus operandi of the club. But I think the timing of it is actually fantastic because you now have a fan base that will be absolutely rejuvenated and together for next Thursday's Europa League semi-final. There's now an extra impetus on the players to deliver in that semi-final. Um, and it, it will give the, the supporters the opportunity to show him their true appreciation of what he's achieved and he'll go in the right manner. Jim, do you think that was part of his thinking? Because some of the stories we saw today, I think the Guardian were reporting that uh, there was a very, very real danger that he would be sacked in the summer and perhaps Arsene Wenger understanding that has taken matters into his own hands and made the decision. I mean, it feels to me like he made the decision. It feels to me he made the decision very, very recently. It's not like this is something that the club have been aware of for for any length of time, hence the shock and hence the, the reaction and everything else. But do you think that was probably part of why he made that decision? Because he knows that things are so febrile at this moment in time, that there is this atmosphere that envelops the club. You know, we just lost to Newcastle. We haven't won an away game. That's all hanging over the Europa League, whether we try and say the Premier League is unimportant or not. He's aware of that, and he's aware of the atmosphere. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was sort of looking at my blog this morning where I was going, I was disappointed in him for the, for the reaction that he had to the question about attendances. And now feels very churlish now in the wake of his announcement, but perhaps it's part of his plan to ensure that he gets the most, as Dave is saying, from the players and also from the fans. Yeah, it may be. I think it's possibly an element of both things happening here where he was led to believe um, that maybe the decision would have been taken out of his hands. 
because uh, we know how much he loved the job. He loves the job. Loved loved the job. Um, it, you know, it's been well reported that he he you know can't really envisage a life outside football. So, I, I think um, I think what's in. I actually don't think you know, you know if if he'd made the decision ages ago, I don't think they'd have waited till the end of the season anyway. Because I think the very least in terms of a courtesy, the, re- the very least that the club would have done would would be to let him have the final home game in front of the fans. And and, and so I think. Actually, what, you know, were it to happen, it probably would always have happened around now. That being said, I did not, I did not see it coming, and um, you know, and, and it's that's what makes it quite, I suppose, a shock. And you could say, well, it shouldn't be a shock. He's been there so long, and things have got so bad. But you know, the way he's clung on, and the way that the, the, the people at the top of the club have always said they've, you know, they've got his faith in him. That you, you kind of, and also the form's been a bit, a bit better recently too. You kind of always have in the back of your mind. He's got that he's going to try and plow on for another season, but it's not to be. Yeah, I mean, people were saying if he wins the Europa League, he'll stay on because he's got Champions League football. And, you know, you could make a very good case for a manager to stay on in a job if they win you a, a European trophy, as much as you could make the case uh, for, it, for it to be a good time for him to go. You know, if the manager wants to stay after he wins a European trophy, Arsenal are not the kind of club that have been that ruthless in the past to dispense with the services of a manager who, who has brought them success. Andrew, what's your reading on on how this went down and... Uh, Ivan Gazidis had a press conference. I spoke a bit earlier uh, in the podcast about this to James, where as the as the press conference went on, it felt more and more like an obituary, and there wasn't a great deal of information about why it happened, how it happened, the process, when the conversations happened. What what what's your reading on it? Or you know, obviously it's just speculation, uh, as all of us. That's all we can do at this moment in time. But I'm curious as to what you think happened and how it went down. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think like everybody, I'm uh, not quite sure. I think it's really interesting. I, I mean, I, in, my, in the back of my mind, what I want to have happened is that he's made the decision. I'd, I'd, I'd be even more sad if I found out that actually the decision had been made by the club. But the more I read about it, I mean, I see that the Times have gone with the headline, distraught Wenger forced out of Arsenal. Um, mm. The suggestion, as seems to have been the same case with The Guardian, that the, you know, the guillotine was going to come down in the summer, uh, and this was the best way for him to get some form of goodbye on his own terms. And the club was obviously going to do everything they could, given the circumstances, to kind of focus the attention on his legacy and all the rest of it. I don't, I mean, I, I said to you privately at the time, I didn't really understand the need for the Gazidis press conference yeah. if Gazidis was going to stand up in front of everybody and not really answer the questions. I mean, he knew the types of questions that were going to be coming his way he effectively read out a statement a pre-prepared statement and then actively turned down questions that were posed to him and kind of did the gazidis uh filibustering that he usually does and, <laughs> and left and you know that that was strange i mean it felt very much about gazidis about gazidis's you know what he's been doing in the background to not necessarily facilitate this but to at least mitigate for what happens next, you know, or to, to put the foundations down for what happens next. Um, yeah, it was an odd one. Uh, particularly strange, I guess, to hear from Gazidis without maybe even Wenger there. But I, I suppose, as you said, like Wenger's naturally just going to be focused on trying to beat West Ham on Sunday. Um, yeah. Dave, what's your what was your reading on the press conference um, and the way, the way it happened? I mean, some will say... 
It's good to hear from the chief executive, from the from the board. It's good to hear uh, after a, a big decision like this, after a big announcement, it's important to hear from that level of the club. But if we're not going to get anything beyond a perfunctory statement, uh, which could easily have been released on the website, and if Gazidis was going to talk a lot and say very little, which is you know often the way that it goes, it, it feels a bit more cynical to me anyway. Yeah, I think you might have a point and there may be an ulterior motive behind it. Uh, But as you say, speculation by us at this point really isn't going to help the situation. It was interesting, I thought, the way that Arson um, phrased his resignation statement in that he had. uh, It was a result of talks with the club. I think that tells you a great deal if you look behind that statement. When those last talks were held would be interesting to know. Mm. Was Was it not? Nine o'clock this morning, did Ivan say, okay, this is something we need to talk about and for you to consider very carefully? Uh, I I suspect not. I suspect it was before yesterday, which was why Arsene looked a little bit um, not at ease at the press conference, um, which he, he usually deals with rather well, no matter what's hanging over his head. But I thought there was a little nervousness and a bit of tetchiness about him yesterday. So I suspect it was... It's something that's been done for days now rather than just this morning. Hmm. Let me ask you, let me stick with you. Do you have any um, concerns that this is not the right decision? No. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I, um, I I think it was the right decision. I think the timing of it is actually the right timing because we've, let's face it, we've not had the best of seasons in terms of our principal target of the Premier League. Uh, we haven't made the Champions League unless we win the Europa League for the second season running. Uh, I don't think we've been playing consistently the style of football that Arsene is trying to achieve, which means he's lost something in terms of his relationship with the team. Um, so everything said, yes, this is the right thing for to happen, but it's still... Uh, sorry to see it end this way, and I hope it doesn't end this way. I hope we go out and win that Europa League. And he goes with cheers ringing in his ears. Yeah. Jim, uh, Jim do you feel like even if... Let's say we don't win the Europa League, and it is a tall task. I mean, we've got a very difficult semi-final against Atletico Madrid. How will you view the final years of, of Arsene Wenger's tenure? Because it is this curious mix, isn't it, where we had a trophy drought at a time when we were perhaps playing some some really nice football. We had a team that could play uh, some beautiful stuff at times. We had some really great players, but they never achieved anything. We became perhaps a bit more functional, even though we added players like Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil to the side, and we had success. We had three FA Cups, and you know anyone out there who wants to roll their eyes at three FA Cups, be my guest, but I enjoyed them. I, I thought they were wonderful times. And, you know, when you see other clubs decide that, you know, the FA Cup is not important, despite the fact they haven't won anything in years and years and years, you know, that's your remit. I think as fans, we've all enjoyed those days at Wembley or wherever it was that you watched those FA Cup final wins. At the same time, we've had this, I guess, inexorable decline in our league form. Um, so how do you view the the last number of years? I see. I think there's, you know, as you pretty much done, you split it into two things. And and from a league and Champions League perspective, it's been a decline and it really has. So we sort of went, like you said, from being competitive in the league to 
not so competitive but playing good football to actually being neither. Um, and the Champions League has been a debacle. There really is no, you know, no other word for it, culminating in t- a 10 to aggregate loss. It, you know, that, that really, if that didn't set alarm bells off, then, then nothing else would. But the FA Cups have been brilliant. And, you know, like you say, a lot of clubs would kill for that to win three FA Cups. But, um, but you know, Arsene essentially has made a rod for his own back by how successful he was at the beginning of his career. Mm. And so we've, we've come to expect um, to challenge for the league Every season now. Look, if you look at Arsenal's history, we're not that kind of we're not that kind of club. We kind of come in in fits and starts, and uh, and and his his success made it made us more ambitious uh, as fans and expect more. And so ultimately, he um, you know the, the decline was was there for all to see, and it was quite clear for some years that he, he couldn't turn that round. So um, uh, I, I think you see it like you see his reign overall. Uh, with you know through different lenses yeah was it was was there a breaking point for you when i say a breaking point was there a point where you where that you can pinpoint where you think okay that's it we we really need to go in a different direction was it was it something was it a game was it a a season or was it slower and steadier i I think i think um it's one of those things that makes this make makes the topic quite hard and other fans will say oh you're so spoiled because it, it really was one of those things that's just chipped away over such a long period of time mm. that, um, that unless you can see the context of it, you think, well, they're just being spoiled. But it's not like that at all. So is there a single point? Probably not. But if I look back now, I think, you know, losing 8-2 at um, Old Trafford was, you know, un- unacceptable. And that's quite a long time ago now. But um, I-, I think the one for me which really, really hit home for me was on his 1,000th game where you'd expected his team to put in a hell of a performance, we got thrashed six 0 at Stamford Bridge, mm. and I think, and I, th- I really did think at that point, there's no way back now. And 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 I suppose you could pinpoint many others, but I just think it was a very slow, very gradual thing yeah. um, that built up ultimately. I have to say, for me, it was the Manchester United game in the the season that Leicester won the title. Um, you know, when City were not in it, when Liverpool were not in it, United weren't in it, Chelsea weren't in it, the the opportunity was there for us to go and win the title and we uh, we, we couldn't do it. And that, for me, was the point where I said, OK, we, we really, really have to go in a different direction. I know that everybody comes to this realisation, this particular uh, opinion at a, at a certain point. Andrew, was there anything for you or is it, like Jim, been slower and steadier? Uh, yeah, slow and steady. I think there were there were sort of games and results and and home performances that chipped away and you kind of started to feel like you know this isn't going to turn around this isn't going to get better there isn't necessarily going to be a kind of great revival and a and a huge period of success under Arsenal you always hoped i mean at least i did there were matches like you know losing 2-0 at home to Swansea in 2012 when Michu scored a brace or something and it was just little <laughs> things like that when you just and it just chipped away at you bit by bit by bit and initially those things those results were kind of outliers and then they kind of became a bit more common and the performances behind them became a bit more regular because teams started to play the same way as those teams that had achieved those results and yeah i mean this season really you i turning up and you know I, I think I've been to I've missed one game this season and you sit there on those cold nights at some of the crappy early rounds of the Europa League and the stadium's empty and you're looking about and you're just like what's happened here this is this is it really now it's the end of day stuff 
Um, but it was a really slow, gradual process because I love the man. You yeah. know, I love what he stands for. And, you know, when, you, when you're an idealist like Arsene, you kind of, you know, he's a, he's a positive person. He's an influencer. He's a, you know, he's an optimist. He's an optimist. I was going to say exactly that. He's, yeah. a, he's, he's an optimist. And I'm not an optimist. I'm a pessimist. But I look at <laughs> Arsene's optimism and it makes me feel sometimes that I too could maybe be an optimist. And to see an optimist kind of get beaten down as he has been over the last few years and ultimately he hasn't won the day unless, of course, we may go, go out with a Europa League win. To, to, see, to see him sort of slowly crushed by it all is, is really quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I... I- read somewhere Dave somebody saying that they felt it could have been Tim on 7am kickoff actually wrote a piece about uh, Arsene Wenger and he uh, he said he was relieved he said he didn't know if he was relieved for himself or if he was relieved for Arsene Wenger and you know I think one of the frustrating things for me certainly writing the blog and doing the podcast is the, the separation between what you think about Arsene Wenger as a man and a person and Arsene Wenger as a football manager. Uh, and I've always tried to stress the point that uh, while I feel uh, Arsenal have needed to go in a different direction for a while, while I feel that Arsene's performances um, haven't been uh, up to the standards that he set, you can be critical of his performance but still like the man and still uh, be emotionally attached to him. And there is this sense that if you're in any way critical of Arsene Wenger, you're accused of being uh, some kind of, you know, Wenger-hating extremist. It's not the case. It's really not the case. Uh, You can be critical of him and what he does, but still like him very much. And it's always been the case for me that I've admired him, I've liked him, I've enjoyed him, I like listening to him for the most part. You know, there are times, of course, when he drives you absolutely up the wall with some of the stuff that he says, and you go, oh my God, this again. But like... (laughs) There are other times where he's in a room and he's in a press conference and they're asking him about something that's got nothing to do with Arsenal or nothing to do with football. And he talks so brilliantly and and fluently and uh, cogently and intelligently about so many things. And I've always found it... um, I've always found, to me anyway, that he's, he's represented Arsenal Football Club in a really great way for me. He sort of has values and... Um, an integrity that I like and we all like to think is part of, of Arsenal, uh, that's going to be a difficult thing to replace as much as the football management side of things as well. Absolutely, and thank you. I think you've just written my blog that I'm going to get out tonight before yours comes out in the morning. Be my guest. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> um, yeah, the original point being that you can like him as a man despite uh, having very real misgivings about the direction he's gone in as a as a football coach, as a, not necessarily as a manager of the football club. I think he's tried to put the right things in place, but they haven't quite fitted and he, his methods maybe have fallen a little bit behind what other coaches are achieving. But yeah, utterly got respect for the guy and I know where we all stood on him when, you know, 10 years ago even, when the drought years started, I think we all had were of a view that he would be the man, if anybody could do it at a new stadium with no money, he would be the guy who could do it. And we were fiercely defending him at that time. And I think quite rightly. Uh, but what I think has happened over the last few years is gradually they've chipped away at Arsene, the coach, 
And although the man always wants to improve himself, he always wants to learn new things, uh, he hasn't learned enough. Uh, what was your favourite word? Footballistically. is yeah. uh, he, kind of lost out in that area. And it, it is so sad to see because I really would have liked to see him succeed. I think we probably, most of us would. Yeah. Jim, there was never any sense that he wasn't working hard. I mean, we would we would go through summers and we go through transfer windows and we wonder about the inertia and we wonder about perhaps the lack of decisiveness when it comes to signing players or targeting players or bringing players in. And those were frustrations, I think, for a lot of people. But... I I never got the sense that it was he was going through the motions. It was the worse it got, the harder he tried, and that for me was a difficult thing to see at times. You knew he was working harder and harder and harder, and he was in many ways just running to stand still. Yeah, apart from the summer when he forgot to sign any outfield players. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, it's, he. No one can ever doubt that. You know, he, he would have been, he would have been gone long, long, long ago if he was the kind of man that would have taken his foot off the pedal. Um, you know, to 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 have lasted twenty two years is testament to his hard work and his um, discipline and his dedication. So that was never in question. I think it was pure and simple that you know you you anyone in any job twenty two years you lose a bit of the edge. And to to have lasted that long, you could say on the one hand was phenomenal, and it is, but um, but it just stopped being enough. And, uh, you know, there are millions of reasons why that might be. Not all of them attributed to him, perhaps. But uh, at the same time, it was quite clear it was happening. And I think in many respects, I think the decision should really have been taken out of his hand a little bit sooner. But um, but he was never going to make it. So, yeah, I I think he he couldn't have done much more. Some of the twists he tried last season to make things better worked for a bit but then not again. And ultimately, you kind of run out of steam at the end. So uh, I, I think the club have realised that he ran out of steam uh, and maybe maybe now himself too, which is, you know, which is great because mm. it, it, it is time and it has been time. And so I think this gives him the time to go uh, with the absolute respect that he, that he deserves. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to make. Regardless of what you think about the way the last few years have been, I think he deserves respect. He deserves uh, credit for the achievements that he's had at this football club. He's done things at Arsenal that no other manager has done at us or any other club, for that matter. You know, when we talk about going through a season unbeaten, and, uh, you know, it's impossible not to think about the the great times uh, and really some of them were just absolutely amazing times that he's given us as a, as a, as a manager and uh, as supporters of this club, Jim, let me just stick with you. What was your reaction when in 1996 you discovered that Arsenal had appointed Arsene Wenger? I'll tell you how I found out about this because this was really Pre, well, I, I don't think I had the internet at the time. I had the poor man's internet, which was uh, CFAX. Um, and I remember at the time the names uh, mentioned were Arsene Wenger. I think Terry Venables was being mentioned uh, at the time, but also Johan Cruyff. And I was very wedded to the idea of Johan Cruyff coming to Arsenal simply because of his track record as a player and as a manager at Barcelona. You thought, wow, that would be pretty amazing. And I was looking at CFAX and discovered that Arsene Wenger had been appointed the new manager of Arsenal and was like, well, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen here. Do you remember what you thought? Do you know, it's funny because I, I, I genuinely don't. Uh, I, I I think the trouble is there's that apocryphal story of um, of the of the evening standards saying Arsene who, which has now done the rounds so much that I, I part of me thinks I must have seen it in the standard, but I, I don't I don't remember having done so. What the, my, my first real memory of it 
apart from seeing his his press conference on the big screen at Highbury, was you know either shortly before he officially joined or shortly after when he when Patrick Vieira came on off the subs bench and made this most incredible immediate difference. And I suddenly thought, this is Wenger signing. This is this is something completely different, you know. And, and I think I, at that point I thought something was going on. So mm. the, the honest the honest answer, I would love to lie to you and say, I'm, I remember doing this, that and the other. I can't remember. But, um, but uh, I certainly... I do remember the whole Cruyff thing and thinking, yeah, that would be a much better appointment. But I wouldn't have thought I was the only person <laughs> thinking that. No, I don't think so. Dave, uh, can you search that far back in your memory banks? Do you remember what was in your mind when we brought him in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this will be to my eternal shame. I felt <laughs> very, very, very sorry for Pat Rice because if you remember, he had started the season as number two to Stuart Houston as a caretaker. Stuart Houston applied for the manager's job and was told he wouldn't get it and resigned. Pat Rice carried on with the team. And by the time we got up to the, the, the dreaded UEFA Cup tie with Munch and Gladbach, we were actually level on points with Liverpool at the top of the league and looking a half-decent side. And he was doing what I, I thought and many people thought was a great job. And then all of a sudden this guy walks in who I'd remembered the summer of spe- speculation, which, l- looking back now, was probably David Dean leaking the information about this guy in mm. Japan because he'd already tried to bring him into the club once and been outvoted on the board. And so I thought this was his way of letting the public have a view on what was happening and to get the board on the side. And you had all these articles from Glenn Hoddle and Mark Haitley and the like saying what a magnificent coach he was and how he had transformed their latter days. And uh, so it proved to be when he turned out, what the hell did I know? Because those first 10 years were just an absolute roller coaster and more ups than downs for sure. Yeah. Andrew, how old were you when Arsene Wenger took over? Uh, 13. Right. Um, so you would have been I mean, in like that, that kind of obsessive teenage yeah, uh, uh, yeah. phase of, of supporting uh, your football club. So what do you remember what you were thinking? Oh, I mean, I, uh, I remember the George Graham exit being quite clinical. And, uh, you know, I was, I was going to the odd game at the time, kind of, I didn't have a season ticket. My dad had a season ticket and he sat next to a friend. And if his friend couldn't go, then I would go along. But I think, I think as, as Jim mentioned, it was that Sheffield Wednesday game when Arsenal won, was it 4-1? And I think they brought Vieira off on at half time. But before the game, and I was watching on Sky Sports, before the game, they did a video clip from Arsene Wenger, I think, introducing himself to the crowd. And they played that on Sky. And you're kind of, you know... <sighs> It, it, it was just different, wasn't it? I mean, it was a bit weird. I don't, I don't fully remember what I felt, but I do remember watching that game and when Vieira came on, thinking, "Jesus, like this guy's good." And right, he scored a hat trick, and yeah. you know, we we had a nice, you know, pretty, relatively strong finish to the season, and it was really that that following season, though, right, ninety seven, ninety eight, when you know Arsenal had, had his pre season with the players, and suddenly the way they were playing football was different. It wasn't initially great because. I was there the day, I think the 13th of December, 1997, we lost 3-1 to Blackburn. Yeah. Sixth, sixth league defeat of the season. And, um, you know, we looked as far away from winning the title under Wenger then as we did under under Graham a couple of seasons before. Um, 
and then something just clicked, you know, Petit, Vieira, Bergkamp, uh, Anelka, I guess, with Wright injured. Um, Adams and, 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 and Dixon and Winterburn were coming together again. And Steve, I mean, it was just, yeah, I mean, something just happened. But I, you know, I can't say I, I knew, nobody knew anything about him really, apart from David Dean. Yeah, and it's you know the 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 story even behind him joining is just fantastic. I mean, all of it is just uh, chance, serendipity, really. Uh, yeah, it it uh, it became clear quite not quickly. I mean, there was a team meeting, wasn't there, after that Blackburn game where yeah, yeah. Vieira and uh, Petit were told you've got to give this defence a little more protection. But I suppose the game that really made us think something was happening was that game at Old Trafford, Dave. The the 1-0 when Overmar scored that goal. It was, I think, the second game in that run that took us to the title. Uh, the second win of one, two, three, four, five, nine or ten wins in a row, I think, uh, culminating with that game against Everton, uh, the Tony Adams game. But mm-hmm. th- that game, United were a brilliant team. Uh but going there, it's it's it lives in the memory because of the Arsenal fan in the in the crowd who reacted <laughs> yeah. to that Overmars goal, and I think the reason that resonated wasn't just a dude celebrating a goal, an important goal in an important game. It was because I think we all felt there was something happening with the team, or that something could happen if we were able to go to Old Trafford and beat United on their own home patch. And so it proved that run to the to the first uh, Premier League title for Arsene Wenger was incredible. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and the, the importance of that Manchester United game can't be overlooked with the benefit of hindsight because it was probably the first of the matches that we played them at such a level of intensity that I couldn't remember in an Arsenal-Manchester United game before. And United did come out, as they were wont to do in those days, to kick us off the park. And that Arsenal side showed immense courage that night. And you talk about the guy with the afro celebrating that goal of Overmars. The other thing I absolutely loved about that night was the guy who had the banner saying, Old Trafford, champion section. <laughs> that was superb. But yeah, and the, the end of that season, you say that Everton game, um, it's the exact opposite emotion of today. It's just pure, pure joy you felt, and particularly in the way that we clinched it with that Tony Adams goal. Mm. But, you know, the, the guy proved to, to us that day and that season that it, we were going to be a very special force for a while to come. Yeah, I mean that was that was a double gym uh, the the FA Cup final against uh, against Newcastle uh, over Marsden and Elka scoring that day, but that was a double. But then um, we went a little while without without winning the league again. But I suppose what made it interesting in many ways was this rivalry with with Manchester United and. I'm pretty sure most of the people listening to this podcast will remember it. If you were too young to remember it, I'm very sorry uh, to tell you, but this was something just amazing. This this uh, tension, this hatred, this rivalry, this competitiveness between the two teams, the two managers. You know, what does Arsene Wenger know about uh, English football? He comes over here from Japan. He doesn't know anything. Wenger is, you know, everyone thinks they got the prettiest wife at home. Ferguson goes mental, you know. 
It was an amazing rivalry between two fantastically competitive football teams who gave no quarter in any game. And for a while, obviously, Manchester United had the better of that because they won the title. Uh, I think, did they win it for three years in a row? 99, 2000, yeah, 2001, so. you know. Yes. Um, 99, I, I don't really want to talk about. It's too soon uh, and everything else. Uh, but Jim, I mean, that that was that was really, really something special, wasn't it? Like in an era now where people talk about how competitive the Premier League is and it's great because you've got a top six rather than a top two. But this was absolute box office. This was um, Ali versus Foreman. It was like just up there with the best sporting rivalries of all time, I think. I think so. It was, it was the... It was the match of the season, and uh, it, and it was massively exciting, and it could have swung both ways, which it often did, um, and and that's what made it so exciting. And 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 I think you know, well, you said a bit, uh, you said at the beginning of this question, oh, you know, we'd gone some time before winning the title. It was four years, so you know that sort of puts it into some perspective compared to where we're at now. So it wasn't that long, and um, uh, but but it, watching those games, and you know, even now you look back at them. Uh, and they're phenomenal. And you look at the crowd when, when Arsenal score in one of those big games, and there's something else, there's something extra, which I think we've lost, um, uh, you know, for, for one reason or another. And so they were great times and those kind of iconic moments of uh, Will Tord scoring and Canu and, and that gold shirt with Sega on it. I love that shirt. <laughs> and it all, it all, all to me kind of uh, points back to that, to that time, which was a, it was a great time. And, we did have the ability in us at that point to, to go on these massive runs. So in in, in, two, in 1998, we, we did go on that huge run that won us the title. 2002 was something similar. And, and I think that's yet another thing we've lost is the ability for that consistency and that sort of get the bit between our teeth and go. Uh, we don't have it anymore. So, yeah, it was really exciting. You kind of knew at the time that once Arsenal had a head of steam up, they were pretty hard to stop. It was it was really exciting. Andrew, I know we're a bit biased about this because we wrote a book about it, but <laughs> the yeah. the unbeaten season um, really is going to be the crowning glory of, of Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal. And I think rightly so. We, we spoke for the podcast we did for the Patreon members about how maybe, maybe you could talk about that team underachieving, particularly when it came to the Champions League uh, you know, this was a, this was a season where everything seemed to be set up for Arsenal to go all the way in Europe, and we all know what happened with that with that Wayne Bridge goal. But um, going through an entire league season unbeaten is, as even Manchester City this season have discovered, by far and away the best team in 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 the league. And I think the league we went unbeaten in was a bit more competitive. There was a bit more closeness between uh, us and and the rest of the teams compared to Manchester City and some of the rest of the teams uh, is an amazing thing to do. Yeah, and I think if Arsene ever does write that book that he keeps teasing us about, he'll he'll probably put a lot of the focus both on the the highs and the lows of that season because I think he also knows that that team should have won the Champions League. Um, But it was... There was something beautiful. It was, you know what? I think actually the peak of that team was just before it lost to Manchester United. It was the 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 start of the o four o five season when actually we rocked up to teams and matches, and you just generally thought, how many goals are we going to score today? And I used to love, I loved, used to love tuning into the away games on TV and sitting there and basically kind of popcorn at the ready, kind of like feed me, feed me goals, guys. <laughs> and they did, they just did. And you know that. Middlesbrough game when I think we were 
uh, three one down, and we just stormed back, one five three in the end. Amazing, mm. amazing day at Highbury. That I mean, it was just, it was one of those. You know, there's nothing better in football, I don't think, than your team scoring like twice in a minute, and twice in a minute when you've just been yeah. like down. It was just, there were so many amazing moments in that, and I was with my brother that day, and we just went absolutely spare. <laughs> but they were, that the, 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 the Invincibles were, I mean, I think it's everything that if you were a football manager, you would want to combine in a team. And he had that sort of, I guess, British core with um, with old Sol Campbell in there at the back and stuff and Parler and, you know, that kind of grit. But then the, the just the, the physicality of, of Vieira and, and the, the guile of Perez and, and Henri, it was the, the perfect concoction, really. And every time... Every time the team who was, you know, not lost uh, for the longest in the season since then, every time I celebrate the day that they lose their first game, <laughs> knowing that it's kind of like a small victory yeah. for, 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 for my own personal memories. Because it's just, you know, I hope one day that I get to tell my grandkids that I saw that team that didn't ever lose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think the uh, the uh, the Middlesbrough game, that, that game is, is one of my favourite games in in the Arsene Wenger era, Dave, do you feel sometimes like there's a famous Wenger quote, isn't there? That w- once you've had caviar, it's very difficult to go back to sausage. Not that there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with sausage, and I personally would prefer uh, caviar or a sausage with my fry up than a load of caviar. But um, when you think back to that team, to the invincible side, and the side maybe from 2002 to 2004. Arsenal Football Club, who we all love and respect and and think the best of as much as possible, but we're aware of the fact that we're not a Real Madrid, we're not a Barcelona, we're not even a Manchester United, we're not, you know, uh, an AC Milan, a team with this, or Bayern Munich, etc. We're not one of the big, big, big teams in Europe. But at that time, we had four players who any one of those teams would have taken from us. In Henri, Vieira... Perez and Bergkamp and while you've got to give some credit to Arsene Wenger for bringing those players in for developing them you know Henri and Vieira from from quite young Perez I think was 25 or 26 when he joined but he took his game to a new level Dennis Bergkamp uh, was going to be a genius regardless of who was manager but you know the way that Wenger utilized him helped get the best out of all of those players it was an amazing time and probably one which is kind of impossible to repeat simply because of the way football has gone with money. The best players in the world are going to be at uh, the biggest clubs in the world because they get snapped up and they get paid the biggest wages, even if you are to develop them organically in a way that we kind of did uh, with, with two, maybe three of those players. is still an amazing thing for Arsenal to have four of the best players in the world in their team at any one time. Mm, absolutely something i've always uh, been very proud about and thought perhaps we didn't recognize it as such at the time but arson's tenure has really boiled down to three phases where he has tried to follow the most successful sides of the day and of course for that first decade it was very much the france of 98 world cup winners that he styled himself around he had a good chunk of that team anyway 
Um, and when they suddenly started losing, but Barcelona became a force with Messi and the likes, that we tried to copy the Barcelona style after the move to the Grove and players like Fabregas and Nasri and Hleb were brought in to try and play that quick ticky-tacky that turned into tippy-tappy at times with Arsenal. Mm. He'd never quite mastered it. And of course, this third phase where he's tried to repeat the success of the German sides, but he hasn't got quite close to the unity that they have, that the effort that they put in when they pull the German shirt over their heads um, and I, I think that you were saying we'll probably never see that again and you're probably right but you just don't know if a new man who knows a, a market an untapped market if there are any left comes in brings in those unpolished diamonds and polishes them then th th that could be what's next or next but one for us. I've got a feeling the next guy might be a temporary hand on the tiller. Well, I mean, that brings me to my next question, Jim. Do you have any preference? Is it just too difficult to know who we're going to bring in? I mean, it's. I guess it's an impossible question to ask you who, who we're, who we're going to bring in, so I'm not going to ask you that. Um, do you have a perhaps a profile of manager that you think we might go for? My feeling is that they are going to go for somebody up and coming somebody who will not wield the same kind of power as Arsene Wenger I don't think that in itself is possible because of you know the circumstances of, of Wenger and uh, the length of time he's been at the club but if you bring in a big name manager a big name manager wants power whereas maybe if you bring in somebody who's not necessarily still learning their trade but early in their career it means that they've got to work with the uh, with the board that's there and with the football executive structure that's there. So is that the way you think we're going to go? Or do you think we might bring in somebody experienced just to kind of steady the ship for a year or two because we don't want to do what Manchester United did, for example? I, I don't think we'll bring someone in explicitly for a season. Um, and, and I also don't... Th I mean, I think if it was me, I think you could rule out the people that have not that haven't got the right experience. So I'm thinking of the Vieiras and Artetas and those kind of names that crop up from time to time. I just think, no, it's completely the wrong time for that kind of appointment. Uh, I don't think it matters how experienced they are because I think any manager would know they're not going to get the power that Wenger got. No, no modern manager does. Yeah. So, um, so, so I don't think it matters if you got in an Ancelotti figure who's uh, you know a very, very experienced manager. He wouldn't expect to have to wield the same kind of power that Wenger has. He wouldn't want it. Um, and so I don't think that side of the matters really. I think you've got to pick someone who, yes, is up and coming, but has the requisite experience in Europe and, and also um, managing big, big name players. Because we've got quite, quite a lot of big name players uh, in the, in, and people that probably are going to be a little bit resistant to change. And I think to bring in uh, a real up and coming person with little experience, I'm not sure that would, um, would work with the best men in the world. So I would expect someone with a bit of middle ground. So, you know, someone who's got some experience um, at the very highest level, but not necessarily a sort of grizzled old veteran and definitely rule out the, the, the those who haven't had the right kind of experience. Andrew, have you any preference beyond being uh, an ABB, which I'm uh, going to inform as anyone but Brendan? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess this time last year, I was, you know, when you looked at the options, I was very much about um, 
Ancelotti just because I, I, I couldn't see us with any form of succession plan in place. And, you know, I thought it was going to take someone who would at least have the experience and the know-how and, you know, someone who's obviously been in the Premier League before to be able to kind of potentially guide us through what could could be a very dark phase, you know. But, you know, the club have put some some positions in place with Sanley and, and Mislintat and they, they seem to have sort of started doing that work a while ago. And I feel a little bit more open to the idea of having someone with, let's say, less experience, but a bit of European pedigree. At this point, I'm just quite open. I mean, for all of my sadness, you know, about saying goodbye to Arsenal, there is a, a sense of excitement about a different type of football. Um, I mean, it's not like we're surrendering a manager who has been, you know, leading us to regular success recently. We're we're sixth, fighting for sixth place in the league at the moment. So, you know, you're kind of a bit more open to the idea that something different doesn't necessarily have to be something worse. Um, I hope that the person comes in and and does stick to some of Arsenal's traditions, like trying to produce talent who, um, you know, have come through the academy. Uh, it looks as though they're about to win the under-23 league. They're 2-0 up at half-time as I, as I speak. Um, and if they win that game against West Ham tonight, they'll be champions for the first time since 1990, says George Bird. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to see us continue to play young talent. And if there's someone out there who can, can come in and, and do that, then I'm all for it. Dave, are you, uh, I think we all are emotional, but I, I agree with Andrew. I'm kind of excited because... We're going to see something new. We're going to see something different. We're going to see, hopefully, uh, a realization that maybe we need to play a different kind of football. The two men that we do have in the back room now who are going to be key men, I think it's very important that these guys perform and deliver for, for the football club, Sven Mislintat and Rals and Yehi. Uh, they've got a big responsibility as well as Ivan Gazidis, who has put himself front and centre with his press conference. You know, the onus now is on them to pick the right man. And if they do that, things could be quite exciting. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I, I'm still of the opinion that I think it's going to be a senior hand for two, three years, steady the ship before someone like perhaps Patrick Vieira might be ready in three years' time. Mm. And I'm not so sure that he is today. Or even Mikel Arteta. I think there's a, a lot of good feeling towards him in the boardroom. Um, but it, oh, by the way, Andrew, we've just gone 3-0 up with 20 minutes to go at West Ham. Get in so there. that's good news. Go on. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you're right, it's an exciting and nervous time as well at the same time because you don't know what it's going to be and that's kind of, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to play like under a new manager. I'm looking forward to starting next season and the new manager coming out and say, we'll do our best to win the league or whatever. But, you know, it's 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 a, such a possibility for us next season that we haven't kind of felt that we've had for two or three seasons. I'm looking forward to a manager who can give us some new buzz buzzwords and catchphrases. Enough about <laughs> handbrakes and mental strength. Let's see what the new guy can come up with. Jim, just <laughs> very finally, there is this perception or this idea, isn't there, that, that getting rid of Arsene Wenger is going to be some kind of panacea to all of our problems. It's not the case. It could go down as well as up, right? But th- that's that's the way we've got to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to happen. Whatever is going to happen needs to happen. I mean, it has needed to happen for a long time. 
Um, so I don't think that holds any fear for most people. I think people want to tr- see something different happening and they want to, you know, feel a bit of hope that perhaps uh, we could get back to that level. But yeah, it could go the other way. It's it's very, you know, there's a lot, there's uh, the, the Ferguson example is a very strong example. The difference, I suppose, is that Ferguson won the title in his last year. We're mm. sixth. And, and you know, a, a good manager should be able to get, I, I think, I think this squad, whilst not perfect and has holes in it, uh, should be doing better than six. And so on that basis alone, you know, there, there's something that to be excited about. And um, uh, if it gets a bit worse, it gets a bit worse. That's football. But uh, I, I just think it needed to be different. All right. Well, look, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this evening. It has been like an amazingly surreal, emotional, weird, uh, exciting, saddening kind of day. Um, hopefully we've uh, made some sense of it for people. There's a lot to process and still, I think we should point out a lot to do this season. There's a lot to play for. There's a big prize in terms of a European trophy. There's a big prize in terms of entry to the Champions League, which I'm sure any new manager would love to have. Um, So we'll keep fingers crossed that, um, you know, the ideal scenario is that these players can respond and can really consolidate and put in the performances that will allow Arsene Wenger to go out with a trophy. And I think... It would be an amazing thing. The goodwill he would get for doing that would be fantastic. So, Andrew, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Dave Gunaholic, thanks a million. Oh, thanks, Bogs, for the invite again. And uh, you can have that blog, by the way. I'll, I'll proofread it for you <laughs> if you want. Uh, uh, Jim, the man from East Lower, thank you. Oh, thanks. Nice to talk to you guys and exciting times ahead, hopefully. Yeah. I've seen things. You people wouldn't believe. Here comes Overmars. Now Arsenal have scored in the Premiership at Old Trafford. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. And why did I stay at Arsenal? When you found what is important for you, that means the, the, you share the values that are important for you with your club. Don't be stupid enough just for an ego or a glory problem to go somewhere else. And I'm very proud of that, you know because this club cherishes the values I love. Let's be together to support our players and to support the club and give absolutely all together our best. I don't think there's any doubt for every Arsenal fan out there, for everyone who's listening to this anyway, it has been a really emotional day. And we've had some down the years, and we've had some with Arsene Wenger, good and bad. But when I saw that announcement today, I can't really explain what happened. Because I've been frustrated, and I've, I've, uh, I've thought we've needed a, a new manager for a little while now. And I've always tried to be respectful when I've made that point, or when I've given that point of view. I've never been abusive of Arsene Wenger. I've never been 
one of those people who calls him names or or denigrates the things that he has done for this club. I've always been very appreciative of the the good times that he's shown us. But when that announcement was made today, um, like Andrew said, there was like hairs go up on the back of your neck and you realize, I think, that the frustrations are short-term. And when we look back on the 22 years that Arsene Wenger has spent in charge of Arsenal Football Club, I think we'll look back on them with real pride because he did things and won things and represented our club in a brilliant way. Not everybody is going to feel like that. Not everybody has to feel like that. I'm not prescribing that point of view. But personally, as much as I've wanted change and as much as uh, he has frustrated me at times, he will always be somebody that I hold in great affection for what he did, for what he gave us, for the way he made me feel. So all I can say is thank you very much, Arsene Wenger. It's been a hell of a ride. And I hope that in the games that are to come between now and the end of this season, particularly in the Europa League, the players do you proud, the players do you justice, and that you leave Arsenal Football Club with a trophy lifted above your head like we saw in 1998, like we saw in 2002, like we saw in 2004, 2005, 2014, 2015, 2017. The most celebrated FA Cup winning manager of all time. Two doubles, one invincible season. It's been amazing at times. It's been absolutely amazing. So let's hope that we can do that for you. And let's hope that you can do that for us. And together, we can see you off into the the metaphorical sunset with so much goodwill and so much love because I think you deserve that. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Thanks for being here today. James and I will be here on Monday. I thought we should go out with a bit of music and this one just seemed a little bit appropriate. So catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.